So it's Christmas, people. It's Christmas. Like, it's really here. You're, you're excited. I can tell. Calm down. Calm down. You've got to pace yourself a little bit. I love Christmas. I don't tell people that very often, but I do. I love Christmas. <laughs> Bells and lights and wreaths and trees and garland and all the good stuff. I just love Christmas. I, I'm curious, how many of you have already started your Christmas shopping? Yeah, be bold. Good, good. Uh, and honestly, how many of you have not started your Christmas shopping? Does, yeah, keep your hands up. If you're expecting a gift from these people, you might want to start dropping some hints, right? Like sticky notes on the steering wheel, sticky notes on the refrigerator, sticky notes in the bathroom. Or better yet, just go ahead and buy what you want and put their name on it, right? Just Amazon Prime, two days, no shipping, click. And just write their name on the from part to it, right? You're just probably better off that way. Christmas 2017, I, I, I feel like we really need Christmas this year. Um, I don't know if you feel that way or not. I mean, I know we need Christmas every, every year. I love Christmas every year. We need Christmas every year. But there's something about the world this year. It's just messy, right? Like the world's in a mess. And, and I don't want to go through all the details of the mess. You know the mess. That, that the world is in. Just scroll through Twitter or Facebook. Uh, turn, turn on the TV news. Uh, anybody still read newspapers? Look at it if you do. Uh, find a website with news on it. It's just a mess. Like, the world has all of this mess in it, and it, it just feels like a year where we, we really need Christmas. Uh, Christmas can feel like kind of an escape, Kind of, kind of like I want to get away from all of that stuff. I want to sing some songs that I like or I, I want to watch a classic movie or maybe go to some services. I just I want to get away from all the politics and the celebrity stories and all the stuff that keeps popping up in my Twitter. I just want to escape from all of that. I understand that. Christmas kind of feels like an escape. What I want to say this, this December, though, is when it comes to Christmas... We're not really stepping out of a story. We're stepping into a story. And I think it's important that we view it that way. Not as I'm trying to escape reality, but Christmas is how I step into reality. I mean, Christmas reminds me what's really real. Christmas reminds me what really matters, what's really true, what's really going to last forever and forever and forever. And, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that the stuff in the news doesn't matter. I mean, it, it does matter. Some of it matters. Some of it's important, but it's important for right now. Right? It's important for this week. Uh, it, it's important for this month or this election or this season or maybe this generation even. Christmas is important for forever. For all times, Christmas changed everything. And Christmas continues to change everything. This really matters. It's, it's, it's why it's the best story ever. Because the current headlines are going to fade. The current scandal is going to get replaced by another scandal. The current personalities are going to become footnotes in history at best. But the Jesus of Christmas is going to reign forever and ever and ever. And He's going to change lives forever and ever and ever. So this Christmas, I don't want you to think of it as I'm trying to escape. I'm trying to get out of a story. 
I'm trying to avoid reality. I want you to see Christmas as that time we get to step into reality. Like we get to talk about the most important story ever. Now, here's the thing about great stories. The best stories all have backstories. The best stories all have backstories. Like they have stuff that led up to the story. Maybe you've read a novel or you watched a movie and there were a couple of characters like you couldn't really figure out why they were doing what they were doing or saying what they were saying or what their motivation was or why they were making the decisions they were making. And then about halfway through the story, two-thirds of the way through the story, you find out something about their past and it all makes sense. You go, oh, now I know why they are the way they are. As I was researching this idea of backstory, which is really not what I was doing, I was actually Googling to find out if backstory is one word or two. And it's one word. If you ever use one word. Um, so as I'm, as I'm discovering that, in the Google list of links, there are all these links for backstory generators. There's like these websites that will give you the backstory on a character that you can then develop or you could then write about. English teachers in the crowd, you probably know about this sort of thing. So backstory generators, and because I, it's fairly easy for me to get lost down rabbit holes on the Internet, I spent an embarrassingly large amount of time looking at these backstory generators. For example, I brought some for us all to enjoy. Here's one. She's thoughtful, sensitive, reliable, and perhaps a little too facetious. This is to be expected from somebody with her position. Like all those layers, all that stuff going on. Here's another one. Your character ended up with quite a bit of money due to the family running a lucrative, illegal business. Yeah, that's some of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. Here's another one. A cruel prank. A cousin played, left your character feeling betrayed. Now, honestly, I read that one and thought, that's everybody's backstory, isn't it? Don't we, like, don't we all have that cousin or sister or brother or somebody in our family? Uh, here's another one, backstory. A sibling decided your character needed to learn advanced mathematics. Your character tried it reluctantly and became fairly good at it, but ended up hating it anyway. I didn't say all of them were good. I didn't say all the backstories were good. One more. She accidentally maimed somebody during a drought and was now part of a sinister clan. Alongside a sister, she had to survive in a corrupt world, but with her bravery and skills, she managed to face all obstacles and go beyond expectation. This has turned her into the woman she is today. And there's a lot going on in that backstory. I don't know where all that came from. Backstory. All the best stories have backstories. How many of you are old like me and you remember when the, the, the first Star Wars movie came out? You remember the first time? Yeah, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewbacca, Princess Leia, all that stuff. Uh, first time it came, everybody who raised their hands, they're old. It's just because <laughs> that's me too. I was there. Um, so there was like this cult-like response to George Lucas's creative genius with Star Wars. And like, we not only wanted more of it, we also wanted to try to figure out where all these people came from. Like, how did, how did Luke Skywalker become Luke Skywalker? And how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader? Like, all of these questions that 
billions of dollars later got filled in for us, right? And t-shirts were sold and posters were sold and all this money was made. And in, on December 15th, the next one's coming out, right? The Last Jedi comes out December 15th. Go to Fandango, get your tickets. They're going to go fast. Um, yeah, so that's happening December 15th. And Luke Skywalker's in the movie. The Last Jedi. You've seen the previews, right? And he's old too, like those of us who, who saw the first one. He's got the same problem we got. But when Luke Skywalker appears in The Last Jedi, like those of us who are in the know, we know there was a lot that got him there. Like we know in his backstory, there's all kind of battles and victories and, 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 and we know who his father was, right? We know all of, the, all of the details of his backstory because the best stories all have backstories. And that's the way Christmas is. We focus at Christmas on a night, a very specific time in history, manger and shepherds and no room at the end and angels and Mary and Joseph and baby. And that's great. We're going to talk about that part of the story as we go through uh, this month. But that's not where it started. There's backstory before you get to Bethlehem, and it's a pretty significant backstory. It goes back not just hundreds of years, it goes back thousands of years. Really, the backstory starts in some sense at the very beginning of human history. The Bible tells us that when humans were created by God, He gave them breath and gave them life. And Genesis says the first two, man and woman, it was Adam and Eve. The very beginning of time. And they had everything they needed. God provided for them a way to meet all of their needs. God provided for their relational needs in one another. God put them in, in paradise, in the, in the Garden of Eden. They had a relationship. They could, could communicate with God. And one day, Genesis 3 gets here really fast. One day they decided we don't like everything that God's telling us. And we don't like all the rules. We think we know better. We think we can figure out our lives better than the person who made us, the person who created us, the God who breathed life into us. He doesn't know everything. We're smarter than he is, and we think we can run our own lives. And Genesis 3 tells us at that moment, there were two realities that get communicated. Genesis chapter 3, you can read the details for yourself another time. Well, one of the realities that happens in Genesis 3 is that there was now a brokenness in the world. Genesis 3 says, because, because we kind of stiff-armed the God that made us, there was this brokenness that entered into the world. A brokenness with God. There was a separation from God that started at that moment that had never been before in, in human history. But there was also this, this bent towards doing the wrong things. It was this bent towards looking out for myself in the human relationship between Adam and Eve. Blame entered the story for the first time. Defensiveness, anger, pointing fingers, like self-protection at the expense of other people. Like all of this relational brokenness floods into the human story in Genesis chapter 3, the the mess that's going on in our world, it didn't start in our generation. Like the brokenness that we see when we scroll through Twitter, when we, we, we look online or we read the latest story out of the news, that didn't start with us. That's been going on for thousands of years. You're 
whatever betrayal you've had, whatever betrayal I've had, I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying it didn't start with the person who betrayed us. That level of betrayal has been going on for thousands and thousands of years because of the brokenness that came into human existence way back at the beginning. The mess in the world didn't start with us. Posting our mess on social media, that started with us. right? We, we kind of did that. But the mess itself has been going on a long time. So Genesis 3 says, look, there's this reality. The world's messed up. The world's broken. People have a draw towards taking advantage of other people, doing the wrong things, which is, which is one of the heartbreaking things about all of the mess that we see. Right? All the stories that we keep reading about. Because if, if we would treat one another, if we would live in the way that God designed us to live, in the way that God desires us to live, if, if we would relate to one another in the way that God desires for us to relate to one another with love and compassion and, and forgiveness and respect as humans with dignity, like, like if we would just do it God's way, these stories wouldn't keep popping up. But thousands of years ago, humans decided, no, I don't, I don't want to do it God's way. Another reality that, that surfaces at the beginning of time at, in Genesis 3 is that there's a great battle between good and evil. But not that there's just a great battle. We're told in Genesis 3, good's going to win. Like from the moment brokenness gets unleashed on the world, God reveals to us, yes, there is this battle happening in earth, on earth, between good and evil, but good's going to win. You're not going to be battling this brokenness forever. Someone is coming to take care of the brokenness. It's in Genesis 3. Now, we're not told in Genesis 3 who the someone is or how the someone's going to come or even if the someone is, or even when the someone is going to come. We're just told he's going to come and that good's going to eventually win out over evil for all time. It's really kind of amazing that there are people who deny the very existence of evil. Like they watch the same news that I watch and that you watch and they say, no, there's not really evil in the world. And I'm just thinking like a reasonable person. And you don't have to be real smart or you could be smart or you don't have to be smart. But just like a reasonable person watching what's happening in the world would step back from it and say, well, there's evil in the world. It's just bad in the world. And in Genesis 3, we were told, yep, there's going to be evil in the world, and that evil is going to constantly battle against good, but good's going to win. And I know this part doesn't really sound like a Christmas message, uh, so kind of hang with me for just a second. In Genesis 3, we're told there's, there's a being, there is a, a person of evil, the Bible calls him the devil or, or Satan, not like red pajamas and pitchfork Satan, but like a, a person whose goal, a being whose goal is to break as much as he can break, to mess up as much as he can mess up, to keep as many people away from God as he can keep away from God, to ruin your life and my life and the world. That's his whole objective. And Genesis 3 says, yeah, that's a reality. Evil's a reality. But good's a reality that's going to win. We're not told how. We're not told when. We're just told someone's coming. When you read the Old Testament, we have thousands of years of this evil at work. 
We have thousands of years of people saying, no, God, I don't want to do it your way, and then experiencing the consequences. We have thousands of years worth of stories of people who said, no, I want to do it my way, not your way. And we see what happened in their lives. And then at some point in the Old Testament, God said, look, this is what I want you to do. You, you recognize there's brokenness. You recognize you've messed up. You recognize there's evil. I want you to sacrifice. Again, it's kind of a weird concept in 2017. But in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, God said, here's a picture I want you to get. I want you to have this idea of your brokenness being helped by a sacrifice. Your brokenness being helped when something dies. There's a lot of things God was communicating, but one of the main things I think God was communicating through this picture of sacrificing animals throughout the Old Testament was there's hope. Like something can be done about the mess. Like something can be done about the brokenness in your life and in the world. Something can be done to make things better. And sacrifices didn't make things better. Okay, sacrificing animals really didn't fix anything. There, there wasn't anything that humans could do to fix it. That wasn't God's point. God's point was, I'm going to teach you over a couple thousand years that something can be done. And then I'm going to tell you what that something is. That something was a someone. It was a someone who came at Christmas. About 750 years before the first Christmas, there was a guy by the name of Isaiah. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. Isaiah lived in a time a lot like ours. Uh, the world was messed up. Uh, people were doing their own thing and making a mess of the world. Um, there were political battles going on. There were leaders who couldn't be trusted. Uh, there were threats from other nations against the nation of Israel. So all the stuff we're dealing with, same sort of stuff's going on in Isaiah's time. And Isaiah is reminding the people how they should live and what God wants for them. And as he's reminding them of who they are and what God's called them to be, he says, you know, somebody's coming one day that's going to fix all of this. Here, here are some of the words from Isaiah chapter 9. The people... Walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah says, look, I know things are messy right now. Things are bad. Things are dark. They're not only dark. Isaiah says, no, they're deeply dark. Like Things are really messed up. And some of us look at our lives and there's chaos and, and there's brokenness. That's what Isaiah is saying. There, there's darkness, but I want you to know light's coming. Someone's coming. Someone's coming to be light in the darkest places, not just to the world, but the darkest places of my heart and the darkest places of your heart. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, for to us, this is how it's going to happen. This light breaking through darkness, this is how it's going to happen. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 700 years before the first Christmas. Isaiah says, yeah, it's dark, it's broken, it's messed up, but light is coming. Hope's going to come back. Joy is going to arrive. Peace is going to get here, and it's going to arrive through a child. 
This is one of the crazy things about the Bible. I don't know how close you kind of study and put pieces together in the Bible. The crazy things about the Bible is that hundreds of years before Christmas ever happened, prophets were giving details about what would happen. There's like this amazing consistency to the Bible as prophets would predict where and how and what the setting was going to be for Jesus. Here's an example from Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 750 years before it happens, Isaiah's predicting exactly what would happen the first Christmas. Micah, another prophet teaching the same time as Isaiah, he writes, but you Bethlehem Ephrata, the region of Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In other words, he's not going to be just a regular guy. He's not going to be just a regular baby. Like a baby from way back is coming. From forever, from eternity past. This baby is going to step into time and space. And he's going to step into time and space in Bethlehem. Like over and over the backstory of Christmas is that prophets were already saying it's going to happen in Bethlehem. A virgin's going to conceive. He's going to be from the family of David. Like he's going to be one of David's ancestors. And all of those predictions came true in Jesus. Jeremiah prophesied mothers are going to cry and be weeping and be broken. And fast forward to the first Christmas and Herod wants to kill all the sons that are born so he can eliminate Jesus. Hundreds of years before it happened. Hosea said he's going to come out of Egypt predicting, foretelling that Jesus and his family were going to spend some early years in Egypt. Like all of these predictions lining up 750 years before he's ever born. It would be like finding a book from the year 1300 that described your birth. Like that would be creepy, wouldn't it? You blow the dust off and it like tells exactly the city you were born in and who your parents are and what your family is. Like for my middle child, it would say almost born on I-285. <laughs> that was my, my, we, we waited. We kept going to the hospital with my first and we kept getting sent home. Not time. It's not time. It's not. So we waited with the second one and she was almost born on 285. It was like 20 minutes after we got to the hospital, there she was. What if all of that detail was in a book written in 1300? The details of your life. Listen, the story of Christmas is not just any story. The backstory is not just any story of what happened for thousands of years. They had been saying, Somebody's coming. He's going to change everything. Isaiah says, He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Like, He's going to bring the wisdom of God to the world. He's going to speak truth and wisdom like nobody else has ever spoken truth. And wisdom, he's going to be an everlasting father. And he, he, did, he wasn't born on Christmas Day. Like, it's like, that's not when he started. He's from eternity past. And he's going to step into time and space. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to bring the strength of heaven. The power of God is going to come with him because he is God. That's going to happen one day. And it happened one day. It happened in a specific place. A specific time. And his name was Jesus. And the reality is Jesus coming into the world to be the Savior was in the mind and heart of God before time ever started. 
I mean, the Bible tells us before the world even started, God already knew this is how it was going to work out. And sometimes we think about that and we go, well, why did God create the world if he knew it was going to be broken? If he knew we were going to have this mess on our hands, why would God start that? And after going to seminary and being a preacher for a lot of years and doing a whole lot of studying, I have come to the conclusion that I don't know the answer to that question. I I don't know why he did it this way. I don't know why he started something knowing that it would break. But what I know is, before it ever broke, God had sent the solution. And before life and the world ever got messed up, before my life ever got messed up, before your life ever got messed up, before the world ever got messed up, God had already decided, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Prince of Peace. I'm going to send somebody who can put it all back together if they'll just trust Him. They'll just believe in him. They'll just put their faith in him. So the the question at Christmas is not, what's the Christmas story? The, The question at Christmas is, have you stepped into the Christmas story? Like, has the Christmas story become your story? Not just a lot of verses from thousands of years ago. Not just a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings. Like, if you... Have you become a part of this story by coming to know Jesus? I don't mean like live nativity become a part of this story. I I don't mean you decorate the house or, or you celebrate once a year for a couple of weeks. I mean, has this story changed your life? Have you trusted this Jesus, this Savior, so that He could begin the wonderful work of healing what's broken in you? There's a lot of mess out there in the world. But I've realized there's a lot of mess in here too. There's a lot of wrong in here. There's a lot of brokenness in here. And Jesus came for that. Jesus came to bring peace and hope and joy and new life to all of the mistakes that I've made, all the mistakes that you've made. So has this story become your story? And was there a time that you trusted this Jesus? Not Christmas is not just a story about God being born, God coming to earth. Christmas is a story about us getting to God. It's not just a story about Jesus taking on human flesh and coming down to us. The whole reason He came down to us was so that we could get up to Him so that He could do the work of erasing our sin and the barrier that stood between us and God and that we could be reunited with our Creator again, our Father. Does that happen for you? Is meeting Jesus in your backstory? Can you go back to a time in your life where you trusted your whole life to Jesus? And if not, Well, right now, at the beginning of Christmas is the perfect time to do that. We're on the doorstep of a month of celebrating Christ coming into the world. Let that story be real for you this year. Let that story count for you this year. Not just for now, but forever and ever and ever. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes for just a minute.
Just kind of look in your backstory because we all have one. Just kind of look back through your backstory and, and think of that moment when you met Jesus. When Jesus became more than just a story about something a long time ago and he became, he became Savior, Messiah, the one who forgives you. He became, he became your King, your Lord, the person you wanted to give your life to and follow. And what a great moment in your backstory. And if you look at your backstory and you don't see that moment, that moment could be today. It could be right now. Jesus came to change our lives. He came to set us free from our sin, to, to give us eternal life in heaven. If you haven't met him in your backstory, meet him today. Let this day be the one that you look back to years from now. And remember, I trusted Jesus that day. I gave him everything that day. You could just call out to him in your own words. Say, Jesus, I know I need you. I know I've, I've broken things in my life. I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. But I trust that Jesus came to make it right. I believe he died. He rose again to give me new life. And I trust that today. Let today be your story. God, I pray all over this room. There are many people who are remembering when they met the Jesus of Christmas as their Savior. They met the Jesus who became a man and lived a perfect life and laid down his life and rose again. They met him, and this story became real to them. And I pray for those who look in their back store and they don't, they don't have that. I pray it be the day that no one walk out of this room without trusting their life to Jesus. Pray it in Christ's name.